0: copy of God's Word to Exodus chapter 40. And uh, for those of you uh, keeping track, keeping score at home, uh, you will recognize that this is uh, the the end in our series through the book of Exodus. Uh, We will uh, look this morning at the final chapter uh, in, in Exodus. So, uh, if you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, uh, before I do that, let me just say, um, I, I, well, I had a New Testament reading that I was supposed to put in the bulletin that I didn't put in the bulletin. Uh, so you may want to uh, uh, put a finger in Matthew 17. We'll, uh, we'll be turning there uh, at some point. Uh, Exodus chapter 40. I am going to read the whole chapter, so uh, no need to stand Uh, This morning, Uh, the Lord spoke to Moses saying on the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and you shall put it put in it the ark of the testimony and you shall screen the ark uh, with the veil and you shall bring in the table and arrange it and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps and you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering <coughs> before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil the, and anoint The tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put On Aaron, the holy garments, and you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. Then you shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did. In the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases its bases, and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. So he took the testimony and put it in the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and he put water in it for washing, which with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet when they went into the tent of meeting. And when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Would you pray with me? Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would teach us. Use this, your word, to grow us in our knowledge and understanding of your word, our knowledge and understanding of Christ, and use it even to conform us, to deepen our love and gratitude, our love for Christ and gratitude to him for his work on our behalf. For we ask all this in his name. Amen. Along the way, we have mentioned several times kind of the um, the aim of the Exodus. Like what was the purpose? What was the point? Why did God bring Israel out of Egypt? And part of the answer, of course, is to take them to the promised land. But one of the things that Exodus has pointed out several times over the last now 14 or so months that we've been in exodus it hasn't been 14 months for them but one of the things that that has been pointed out several times in the book is that god is delivering israel so that he will receive glory he's used language like i'm going to get you out of egypt so that the nations will know that i am the lord And when he includes the nations, he includes Egypt and Pharaoh. He has also said, I'm bringing you out of Egypt so that you will know that I am the Lord. That The aim of delivering Israel from bondage, from slavery in Egypt has been God's glory. So that the nations would go, there's something different about their God than about our God. And so that Israel would go, you know, there's something different about our God than their God. Maybe we should stick. And in fact, if you want to go find out sort of, if you're sort of, well, how well did he do? Right? That's a legitimate question. Well, how well did he do in that? Well, you go read the first few chapters of Joshua. Rahab herself says, oh, we know. We've heard. We've heard stories and we 're afraid, but this is still years and years and years away from that that 's actually several a couple of decades ahead in the future we 're still much earlier than that, and yet what we get in this chapter is a is a glimpse of that a, a foretaste of god 's glory. Um, through the, the, the work of his people, we get just a, a glimpse of how God is glorified in at this point of delivering Israel out of Exodus, out of Egypt, out of bondage. First, I want you to see the glory of God in Redemption. The chapter begins with a timestamp. stamp. This is how we know that the 14 months we've been in Exodus is actually longer than, than they've been experiencing this deliverance. We get a, a timestamp. stamp. It's sort of like those old photographs that you had to take, you know, back when you had to print your photographs. Remember those days? And, and the, there, was a, there was a date and a time on the bottom, on the print right? So you can sort of keep track. Oh, I know exactly, obviously know when this is because it's printed right on the picture that I just printed, that I just had developed down at CVS or whatever. And and so we get that kind of a, a timestamp at the book, at the beginning of this chapter. Now, it, I don't know if you noticed or not, but he he gives us the answer, right? he He makes the connection for us later in the chapter. But part of what you're supposed to hear when you read verse 2, that time should mean something to you. We've actually heard that date before. This isn't the first time that you and I have come across the first day of the first month. Because if you look back, turn back with me to Exodus chapter 12. And in Exodus 12, God seems to change the calendar. Now, I think I said this then. It's been a while. I think I said this then. I will say it again now. It's possible that in Exodus 12, he doesn't exactly change the calendar. He just calls attention to the calendar. But if you read the first two verses, particularly verse 2 of Exodus 12, it sounds like he's saying, all right, look, we're going to hit reset on The calendar. Call Greenwich. Tell them to fix the time. To set their clock. Let's make sure we have a new first day and a first month of the year. Notice verse 2 of Exodus 12. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. And then the people of Israel get instructions for celebrating Passover. In other words... The new calendar began with Israel's redemption. You know, you have, well, most of you presumably have two birthdays. Some of you maybe are more aware of this than others. Some of you probably are keenly aware of, and and you already know exactly what I mean by having two birthdays, Right, you you have just enough whatever in your background that you oh I know exactly my two birthdays. I've got the one that everybody knows. It was the day on which I was born. Right, but but then there's this second birthday, the day on which I was converted, the day on which I gave my life to Christ. And some of you may actually even know the day and the time and actually celebrate that to a certain extent. Others of you are going, hold on a second. You mean I could have been getting two cakes and. Two rounds of gifts all these years and I didn't know it. Thanks a lot, Jeff, for setting me up for this. Well, in many ways, that's kind of what's going on here. There's a calendar that sort of began at Genesis 1 at creation. And it kind of began with with the creation of, of God's people. And yet, in Exodus 12... God resets the calendar and says, look, we're going to give you a new first month, a new first day, and you're going to mark it by celebrating the Passover, which is the feast that celebrates me getting you out of slavery, out of bondage. It's the feast that celebrates redemption. Now, it just so happens that for Israel, they kind of at that point become a nation and not just a family and so for them, their, their creation birthday and their redemption birthday just happened to sort of be the same. And so at the beginning of Exodus 40, God goes, pay attention. It's been a year. A year ago, I came in, met you in Egypt and said, all right, look, this is the 10th and final plague. Celebrate the Passover and then I'm going to bring you out. And in fact, you, you, you get that clearly down in verse 17 of chapter 40, right? In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. What does he mean the second year? Well, they've only been out a year, so now they're starting year two of their redemption. And part of the point here is that God's getting the glory for that redemption. Redemption. The tabernacle is going to be set up on the day that is designed to mark God's grace in Israel's life. You spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And exactly one year ago today, I met you and said, you're about to leave. And so the the tabernacle then is designed, it's set up to be a day that celebrates Israel's redemption from bondage. It's appropriate, right? What's the tabernacle for? What's its intent? What's its purpose? Why does it exist? Well, it's the place where God meets with His people, and it exists because of God's sort of newly established covenant relationship with this nation, with Israel. Setting up this tent is a reminder that Israel, I mean, 400 years, and you really think it never occurred to them, You know, maybe we should rise up against Pharaoh. Maybe we should just sort of take up on, let's just all grab a handful of sand and go throw it in the army's face. Let's go throw it in Pharaoh's face. Let's figure out a way to get out of this. Now, See, part of the redemption is designed to say, Israel, you couldn't do this on your own. You are where you are, or better, you are no longer where you were because of my grace. Because of my power. Because I came in and I defeated Egypt. I defeated Pharaoh. I defeated their false gods. And I have delivered you to this place. The people didn't deserve it. They don't earn it. You just back up a few chapters. They've already made an idol and worshipped that. Even after being delivered from Egypt. They didn't accomplish it for themselves. And yet here they are set free from bondage. By the grace of God. And so the tabernacle then is set up. It's finally built. And part of, the, of where the book of Exodus ends is glory to God for this redemption. The very existence of the tabernacle says God deserves the praise and glory for my freedom. For my deliverance. It celebrates Israel's redemption birthday. God's glory and redemption. Second, I want you to see God's glory in the mediator. I hope you notice, this right here is actually the reason I read the whole chapter. Is um, because, because I hope you notice the, the language, the, the shift in language that took place right about verse 16. If you just glance through, I I tried to sort of call attention to it when we were reading. But look at verses 3 through 9. In fact, verses 3 through 15. It goes the whole way uh, from verse 3 to verse 15. It seems that every single sentence, every single verse begins with, and you shall. And it kind of gets repetitive to read. Dare I suggest that this is one of those kinds of things where you start to skim. All the verses sound alike. They all start the same way. And you shall, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let me find something where the language seems to change. But the language is there on purpose. It says what it says, the way it says it, so that we will notice it. And in verses 3 through 15, Every single sentence, every single thing says, and you shall do this, and you shall put this where it goes, and you shall make this, and you shall set this up, and then you shall fill this, and then you shall seal that off, and then you're going to do the next room. I, I've never built a house that I do not intend to. <clears throat> but but I, could, I could see, and this is probably why I'll never build a house, I could see the danger of showing up on the construction site one day the blueprints laid out on this makeshift table and literally walking room by room and saying to the builder to the contractor now, now you're going to make sure this window is a bay window right and, and you're going to make sure that this shower looks like this right and you're going to make sure that 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 room has you know that that bathroom has two sinks right and you're going to make sure that this room has plenty of outlets right because this is how I'm going to use it. And so you need to make sure there's like, I literally would be tempted to walk through and go now, hold on before you get in there and do anything you are going to do the And you go bit by, and that's kind of how it sounds. You read the first part of the chapter and it sounds like, and you're going to do this. And literally, if you noticed God started on the inside and worked his way out and included every piece of furniture, the poles, The veils, the curtains, the covering over the top, like every. And Moses, you shall set this up and you shall put the ark in it and you shall put the testimony in the ark and you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And then you shall set up the veil and then you shall set up the table. And then like literally step by step, piece of furniture by piece of furniture, curtain by curtain through the whole thing. And that's how the first 15 chapters Read and then it changes in verse 16. And the refrain is different. The refrain is no longer, and you shall. The refrain is said instead, is seven times, so Moses did, as the Lord commanded him. Verse 16, and then all the odds. 19, 21, 23, 25, 27, 29, and then you have to skip to 32. You literally get Moses did as the Lord commanded him. There's an emphasis there on Moses' faithfulness as the mediator between God and God's people. There's an emphasis there on Moses doing... Exactly as the Lord commanded him, step by step, curtain by curtain, veil by veil, piece of furniture by piece of furniture, pole by pole, candle by candle, loaf of bread by loaf of bread, working his way from inside out in building this tabernacle. Part of the picture here is that Moses has been faithful to do exactly what God commanded him to do. And what's interesting is there's a little bit of a a parallel between this and the end of creation in Genesis 2, the beginning of chapter 2. So God finished the work and he blessed the seventh day. Well, here Moses finishes the work and God blesses the result of that work you know last week we had as our uh, I think it was last week we had as our affirmation of faith um, the first uh, shorter catechism question what's the chief end of man man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever how exactly do we do that sure it's by what we say and and what we sing and, and our participation in worship here but we don't only glorify God when we're gathered here on Sunday. Imagine telling a spouse. I love you and I'm wholeheartedly committed to you and then I, I never see you and, and my life looks like I love a whole host of other things other than you or more than you or beside you. And so our actions are supposed to reflect our words. And so we have in Moses here this this image, this This picture of of manifesting his love for God and his faithfulness to carry out this work exactly as he was commanded to do. Moses manifests his faithfulness to execute the work that God has called him to do in every single detail. And he does so to the honor and glory of God. That God's glory and redemption. God's glory in the mediator. We see God's glory in the tabernacle. This tent is designed for a covenant meeting. It's going to be a place where this, this covenant relationship is going to be celebrated. Where blood will be shed and sprinkled before God. Where God will meet with his people. And we'll do so on a regular basis and on the grounds of this covenant and on the grounds of of the blood of the sacrifice. And inside the most holy place inside the holy of holies inside that inner room is a box. And in that box is a law. The two tables of the law set there, as which not only tell us how we should glorify God, how we should live to to bring him honor and glory in our daily lives, but they also tell us how we fail to do that. The law not only tells us how to please him, but it also tells us how we fail. It condemns us. And yet, above that law is a lid that is never ever called a lid. Right? It's not a box if it's not completely sealed and enclosed. The Bible never calls it a lid. I call it a lid. The Bible always calls it the mercy seat. That spot between the the two angels which is God's throne and which will be sprinkled with blood regularly. A picture of blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. There's this image then that as God sits on the throne, rather than seeing the law, he sees the blood of the sacrifice. by which you and I are forgiven that's the aim of this tent that's why this tent exists is for this covenant relationship this celebration this picture of redemption but this tabernacle is temporary it's going to fade. It's going to go away. It's going to be replaced by a permanent structure, which is also going to be replaced by another permanent structure because the first permanent structure turned out not to be very permanent. That one's going to get tinkered with and messed with and expanded and shrunk and all sorts of things over the years. And, and do you know where that, that, that building is now? Do you know where? It, it's nowhere. It, it doesn't exist now, at least not as a, a structure It's not as not as a a building, but here this is intended to be temporary. It's designed to only last until David and Solomon can build a permanent structure. And yet it is set apart for a particular and holy use. That's why all the anointing happens in this chapter. That oil is designed to say this is not a normal building. And Aaron and his sons are not normal people. Okay, they're normal people, but they're set apart for a not normal purpose, a not normal function. And that's not just a box. It's a box designed for a special holy purpose. And that's not just a table with bread on it. It's set apart and designed for a special holy purpose. That's why you anoint things with oil. And then when all of that work is complete, a, a temporary tent, God comes and fills it. God comes down in this, this cloud. The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle, that Shekinah glory. And it's, it's a cloud by day. It's a fire by night. And when it settles on the, on the tabernacle, the people stay. And, and if it moves, they pack up. And move. And in that moment, God is giving to the tabernacle his divine stamp of approval. This is what I want it to be, and set apart for the purpose for which I have designed it. And so by filling the tabernacle, by by coming down onto the tabernacle, he's saying, This is exactly what What it's supposed to be. This is right. Now, mind you, it's still just a temporary structure. And yet worthy of God's approval because it is exactly what it's designed to be. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, because I actually hope that this sounds like something you've heard before. This notion of God coming down in the cloud to fill a tabernacle that that. And to give His divine stamp of approval. This is, this is familiar to us. In Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John, His brother. Um, that's John James's brother, not John Jesus' brother. Led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And He was transfigured before them. And His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Him. And Peter said... Uh, To Jesus, Lord, it's good for us that we're here. If you wish, we can make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God comes down again in a cloud and gives His divine stamp of approval not to a building, but to His Son. To Jesus. And He says this person is exactly who He is supposed to be and He's been sent to do exactly what He will do. He will do exactly what He's been sent to do. The Father approves of the person and work of the Son. God's glory in redemption, God's glory in the the mediator, God's glory in the tabernacle. Lastly, briefly, this makes us realize God's glory in the greater redemption, the greater mediator and the greater tabernacle. Because Israel's deliverance is a work of God's saving grace. It is it is all by his grace. They don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. They haven't been good enough to gain his favor. And in fact, since being delivered, they've made and worshiped an idol and snubbed God to his face and said, Never mind, we're going to do this because we don't really sure what's going on with that Moses fella and why it's taken him so long to come back down the mountain. And they're going to sacrifice animals. Regularly in a, in a rhythm, in a pattern, a picture that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And yet those animals were never sufficient. We'll find that in Hebrews, which is where, Lord willing, we're heading next. But Israel's physical redemption from bondage is really a picture of our spiritual redemption, our greater redemption, our greater We've been set free from the power and penalty of sin because of who Christ is, because of our Redeemer, because of his blood, the greater lamb, the greater sacrifice, whose blood was shed to accomplish our salvation. We have a greater redemption. We also have a greater mediator because Moses, for all of his faithfulness, isn't going to go into the promised land And did you notice? Did you notice one little piece of information in verse 35? Moses couldn't go in to the tabernacle. You're like, hold on a second. This is Moses. Like, He's gotten them here. He's been faithful. And we literally just read, so Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded. But we also know that Moses has an anger problem. We also know that Moses appears in verse 35 to be standing outside the tabernacle without blood, he had no sacrifice, he's empty handed. And so Moses, for all his greatness as a mediator, was inadequate, insufficient, unable to go into the tabernacle because the glory of the Lord filled it. Doesn't that make you grateful for a mediator who actually entered into the Holy of Holies for you? Doesn't that make you gr- grateful for a, a mediator greater than Moses who isn't stopped by the glory of God on the tab because he himself is God's glory? Doesn't that make you grateful for a mediator who has gone into the most holy place with blood, not in his hands, on his hands for you and for me? Our mediator has already entered the holy place. We have a greater mediator than even Moses. And He is the tabernacle. He is the one who has come to live as God with man. The God-man, God and man, two distinct natures, one person forever. Our humanity already dwells in the heavenly places because Christ is there. He's the true tabernacle. He's the, the place where God and man dwell together. He, It is in Christ that God and man meet. In other words, when you finish reading Exodus 40, you aren't merely reading an historical account about some group of people way back when. You're reading a story of your own redemption. If you're trusting In Christ and him alone for your salvation. You have a greater redemption than Israel. You have a greater mediator to which Moses all along was merely a pointer. And you worship in a greater tabernacle than that temporary tent. And I don't mean 1432 Freeman Avenue. I mean Jesus himself. He's your access to the heavenly places. Trust in him and him alone. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you that you have uh, seen fit to send your son uh, to live the righteous life that we uh, could not, that we would not. Uh, to suffer and bleed and die for our own guilt, for our sin. To grant us access even to the very throne room of heaven, to the heavenly places, because you are seated there. We pray that we would rejoice in our deliverance. All of your grace, all to your praise and glory, because you freed us from the bondage of sin. Would you now grant us the grace to live as sons and daughters of the King,